Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. My name is Mark Walker, as you just heard, and for those I've not had the opportunity of meeting, I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perrin North, our Merida campus, and our Canton Church campus. I always love to be able to come out to be with you. I'm out here maybe once every four to six weeks. Remember, Pastor Jeremy will let me come out. But uh, you guys don't need me, but uh, I need you. I enjoy coming out here and just seeing you, spending time with Jeremy and the great team that he has out here. And uh, you're a blessed group of people to have the leadership that you have at Canton Church. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. Super, super super folks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father, we do thank you for your presence. All that we have sung about today, about your amazing love and grace towards us. Man, I pray that there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a taste of that. Because God, I know one one small taste of your amazing love changes, changes our lives forever. And I pray for the person who may know you the least here today, all the way to the person who knows you the most, that all of us today, as a result of the worship we've experienced, the prayers, and I pray as a a result also of the word that I'm about to share, that you've given to me to share, we'll all move closer to you and have a greater understanding of your love for us and the life you have for all of us to live. Bless our time now, God. We dedicate it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. His name is Paul Tudor Jones, and he's a billionaire. He has made most of his money through creative, aggressive investments on Wall Street. He's considered a financial genius. And Paul Tudor Jones loves New York City. He considers that to be his city. Several years ago, he became very concerned because of the amount of poverty that was in New York. So in 1989, he established the Robin Hood Foundation, and it has one purpose and that is to end poverty in New York City. Now let that hit you a moment. How's that for an ambition? How's that for a dream and a goal? Because trying to end poverty in New York City is even too big for the resources of a billionaire because there's that much poverty. But since 1989, this Robin Hood Foundation has raised over $2.5 billion in goods and services to provide the best schools, the best housing, the best homeless shelters, the best soup kitchens, the best job training programs, and many other services for the neediest of people in New York City to rebuild their lives. In fact, the Robin Hood Foundation is considered one of the most successful initiatives in the country towards eradicating poverty. Now, that's an amazing thing to me, but where did this kind-heartedness come from Paul Tudor Jones? Where did this lifestyle of philanthropy, this lifestyle of wanting to help others, where did that originate? Was it just a part of who he was, or did it happen somewhere else? Well, Paul tells the story this way. He was four years old, and he was with his mother in an open-air vegetable market. And there were a lot of people there, and he got lost from his mother. And he began to cry, became very afraid and distraught. And then a stranger stepped in. And here's how Paul Tudor Jones tells the story. He says, when you're four years old, your mother is everything. And this extraordinarily kind, very old, very tall black man came over and said, don't worry, we're going to find your mama. 
Don't cry. We're going to find her. You're going to be happy in a minute. You never forget stuff like that. God's every action, those little actions, become so much bigger, and then they become multiplicative. We forget how the smallest action can be. For me, I think, it kind of spawned a lifetime of always trying to repay that kindness. Where, where did this life of philanthropy, to the point that you want to eradicate poverty from New York City, where did that originate? When a small white boy at the age of four was lost, and a tall stranger, an older black man, steps in and helps him find his mom. That one small act of kindness launched a lifestyle of kindness to the extent that they're going after poverty in New York City. In fact, you could say that every dollar that the Robin Hood Foundation raises, every act of service they performed in New York City, every piece of poverty they eradicate or lessen in that city, that credit can be shared by this nameless, tall, old black man who probably today is dead, but he has to share in the credit for what's happening right now. And I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else this morning. One small act of kindness can launch a God dream that could change the world for others. For the past couple of weeks, you heard Pastor Jeremy say it here at our Canton campus and our Merida campus. We have been looking at the sermon series, Chase the Lion. And that comes from a story of a man by the name of Benaiah who is talked about in 2 Samuel 23. He's one of of 37 men listed there that are considered the great warriors, the great soldiers and mighty warriors of King David. And some of their exploits are talked about, some of the great things God did in and through some of these men. Benaiah is talked about, and one of the exploits they describe of Benaiah, it says he went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. He was a lion chaser. Now, he did that literally. But we've been using that phrase figuratively to describe what it means to have the courage and the faith to go after the lion-like huge God dreams and opportunities and goals and ambitions that He will give to us that are beyond our ability, they're beyond our resources. Only God can pull them off in our lives and we have to trust Him. But if we'll trust Him, if we'll take the step of faith, and trust Him, we will see the greatness and the power of God demonstrated in and through our lives. And that's what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. And I think the thing to understand about acts of kindness is that acts of kindness are God dreams waiting to happen. Another way I could say it is that God dreams, in my opinion, are a bundle of acts of kindness, series of acts of kindness, just waiting to be launched and operated in somebody's life. See, they create a ripple effect. When somebody displays an act of kindness, it can inspire somebody to greater acts of kindness who inspire somebody to greater acts of kindness, and you have this huge ripple effect. God dreams are the same way. When you and I have the faith to step out in the stuff that's beyond us, but we know God's calling us to that, if we have the faith to step and do that, man, that inspires others to take that step of faith in the God dream they have for them, which inspires others to do the same. And you have this huge ripple effect. Because here's the thing we've got to understand about God dreams. God dreams accomplish two things. They glorify God and they serve others. See, God dreams aren't about making a name for me. They're about making a name for God. 
God dreams are not about how I can benefit from it. It's about how others are served. Now, I might benefit from it, from sure. Most likely, I will. It's not about chasing fame and fortune for myself. It's about fame and fortune for God. Now, I might become a household name. If I go after a God dream, I might become a huge celebrity. That might happen, but that's not the goal. But those people that chase after their God dreams that nobody may never know their name, except for the people around them, they may never have their names mentioned anywhere in any other household. Going after their God dreams is just as important as those that might become very famous going after their God dreams. The bottom line is, it's all about glorifying Him and serving others. And if I'm going after something... And I'm chasing after something, my dream, my goal, my opportunity, my ambition. And it's really about me. It's about how can I best benefit? How can I make money? Or how can I do this? And it's really about me. Then I have to reconsider whether or not that's a God dream. It might be the American dream, but it might not necessarily be a God dream because it's all about glorifying Him and serving others. And see, one act of kindness can ignite a God dream. That could change the world for others. And this morning, I want to look at what the Scriptures call the three mighty men of David in 2 Samuel 23 and what they do, a courageous act of kindness that really impacts David's life in a very life-changing way. And in 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 13, here's the story of these three mighty men. It says, During harvest time, three of the thirty chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephraim. At, the same, at that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it for me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. And in this story, this small little story that's kind of stuck in the belly of the Old Testament, I think we find two very important qualities of God dreamers. And that's what I want to leave this with you today. Two very important qualities of God dreamers. First of all, God dreamers move to meet the needs of others. They move to meet the needs of others. It says that David was in the cave of Adullam. Now, this was not the first time he was in the cave of Adullam. And it says these three men came down to be with him at the cave of Adullam. In years earlier, before David was king and Saul was king of Israel, Saul became very jealous of David. David was serving in King Saul's court, but he was becoming more popular to the people than Saul was. And Saul tried to kill him a couple of times, and David takes off for his life. He leaves his family, he leaves his possession, he leaves his home, he leaves everything that's secure to him, and he runs from Saul, and he ends up in this cave of Adullam. And this cave represents a, 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 a hiding place. It represents escape. It represents pain. It represents desperation. And we hear now, years later, King David is in this same cave. He's holed up again because you have this Philistine garrison that's blockading Bethlehem. And here he is, once again, in this hiding place, in this place of retreat, in this place of escape, in this place of desperation and pain. 
And these three mighty men come down to be with him in that place of pain and desperation. Now, you've got to keep in mind, these three mighty men are rock stars in Israel. They are very famous. They are household names all throughout the Middle East. They have arrived. They are celebrities. And they could be thinking in their minds, I don't, I don't hide out in caves anymore. I, I, that's beneath me now. I have been there and done that. I, I, don't, I don't go to hide out in caves anymore. But these three mighty men go to where David's pain is. He go, they go to his place of desperation. Because here's the deal. God dreamers, there's no act of kindness beneath a God dreamer. God dreamers go after every act of kindness that's within their power to perform regardless of how great or regardless of how small. Because God dreamers are moved to meet the needs of people. These guys came to David's place of pain. They are moved by his need. And then David wants a drink of water. And he didn't just want any drink of water. He wanted to drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. Now, most likely they had water there for him to drink. But he is desiring this drink from the well in Bethlehem that's behind the enemy lines. Nobody really knows for sure why, but keep in mind, Bethlehem was David's hometown. This is where he grew up, and maybe this well at Bethlehem had great significance to him. Maybe that's where his family would go to get water. Maybe that's where he watered the flocks of his, of his father that he watched over as a shepherd boy. We don't know. Maybe David is just thinking, I would rather be anywhere else than this cave of pain and desperation. And he's just thinking out loud that he wants to be somewhere else. And man, he's just thinking about that well that would provide him water. And if you've ever been traveling in Anywhere. You've been, you've been across the, uh, 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 somewhere in the, uh, outside the country. I've had the opportunity of going on mission trips, and man, after about the first 10 days or so, I'm sitting there thinking, if I could just be in my own bed right now. If I could just be in my own bed. And that's, that's all David, he's just thinking out loud. He didn't say, guys, I'm ordering you to get me a drink. He didn't say, I want you to get me a drink. He wasn't even addressing them. He's just thinking out loud, man, if I could just have a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. And those guys take off. And they risk their lives. They have to break through enemy lines. They go get the water. Most likely have to break back through enemy lines and fight their way back. And they bring the water to David. You see, God dreamers are willing to make sacrifice to meet the needs of others. And God dreamers understand it will cost something to go after the things of God. I don't think there's any time that God doesn't ask us to take a step towards Him, a step that's going to require us to really trust Him, that there isn't some kind of a risk involved. There isn't some type of a cost. There isn't some type of a sacrifice. It may cost us money. It may cost us time. It may cost us energy. It may cost us some other types of resources. There's risk involved. There's sacrifice. But God dreamers understand that. And they're willing to make sacrifice for the needs of others because they understand it's worth it. They realize what the outcome can be. You see, God dreamers are moved and motivated to sacrifice for the needs of others because that's the kind of God that they serve. Our God has made the greatest sacrifice for you and me in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, our worlds have changed for the best. And God dreamers, man, they say, I'm willing to make the sacrifice. I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to count the cost and go for it because that's who my God is. 
See, I'm never more like God than when I'm willing to sacrifice for the needs of others. My wife and I celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary January 21st, just this past January. When she and I first got married, she was working in for Digital Equipment Corporation. I was working for a computer software company called Management Science America. So we were in the business world. We weren't into the vocational world of ministry at that particular time. Now, we didn't have any children then, and we were getting paid quite well for just two young people at the age we were and having no children. We were pulling in good money, and our, our incomes together, wow, we, we could do pretty much anything we wanted to do financially. And then when my wife became pregnant, we had decided going into our marriage that once we had children, she would become a stay-at-home mom. That's what she wanted to do. That's what we agreed to do. So when she became pregnant, we began to work off my income only, begin to save as much from hers as we could, and work off my income only to make the adjustment we would need that once she had the child and she came home, then we would be able to make it. But God did something very cruel to us during that time. He called me into full-time ministry. I'm thinking, really? This is the time you want us to do this? So not only had we reduced down to one income, now that one income was going to be reduced because going in the ministry, I wasn't going to make as much money as I was making at the time I was making it. But this was his God dream for us. We were chasing the lion. We were, we were stepping out there. And every month, the bills added up to here and the income added up to here. And I'm going, okay, God. But time and time again, God came through. But i got to tell you something. It was, it was not easy. It was grueling. It was tough. It, it, and, we, and we begin to doubt we had heard God. We begin to wonder, did we make a mistake? Because this just seems like way too much work and, and effort than what we're having to do. Just way too much worry in our lives to do this. And my wife is is, is with child, and we're coming towards Christmas, and my wife loves jewelry, and <laughs> she, she was used to getting a piece of jewelry every Christmas, and she and I one night are just sitting in our home, and we're feeling, we're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're in the cave of Adullam. That's where we are. And we're just kind of just Thinking out loud of, my gosh, are we ever going to have anything nice again? Are we going to? She said, man, I wish I could have a piece of jewelry for Christmas. And I'm thinking, if I've ever heard a hint in my life. <laughs> but we didn't have the money. We didn't have the income to do it. Christmas came and went. No piece of jewelry. But then a couple of weeks after Christmas, an envelope at, at, at the, my office at the Marietta campus an envelope came across my desk, just had our name on it. I opened it up, and inside was toilet pa or, or tissue paper, and there was something wrapped up in the tissue paper. And I un uh, opened it up, and there was a 14-carat gold chain with a three-quarter-carat diamond on it. And the reason I know is as soon as I opened it, I went and got that sucker appraised. <laughs> and... It's addressed to you, Della, and I'm thinking, I could hawk this and she would never know. <laughs> but God prevailed, and I took it to her, and there was a note with it, and it was anonymous, and, and here's the note. Now, this, this happened 30 years ago. 
Here's the note. Udella, I've watched your life. And as you have been walking as a pastor's wife, I've seen your love for the Lord. I've seen your commitment to Him and to your husband and His ministry. But I've also sensed by the Holy Spirit that there's perhaps loneliness and uncertainty in the transition that you're making. God laid on my heart to give you this diamond and to say to you, He is with you. Do not fear. God is faithful. He will see you through. Now, she was just kind of like David. Thinking out loud, man, I would love a piece of jewelry at Christmas. Whoever gave this, to this day, we don't know who this is. Assuming it's a woman. She may even be dead by now. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit heard her request and speaks to this woman who's a God dreamer because she's willing to make this sacrifice an act of kindness. And let me tell you something. It didn't necessarily change our circumstances. It wasn't like money just started coming in and we didn't have to worry about our bills. But let me tell you what it did change. It changed us. It changed our attitude. It changed our faith. It changed our perspective. It reignited that passion. It reignited that God dream. And we didn't get into pity anymore. We went after the God dream like gangbusters. And I want to say to you, whatever kind of success God has brought through the ministry of my wife and me over the past 30 years, this person shares in that. One small act of kindness can ignite a God dream that can change the world for others. God dreamers move to meet need. And then lastly, I would share with you that God dreamers move others toward God. That's one of the great desires of God dreamers is to launch out of their God dream in the hopes and glory to God and move others towards God. See, I want to move to meet the needs of others so others will move toward God. That's the ultimate desire of God dreamers. I mean, these guys, these mighty men, they break through the line, they, 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 they get the water, they come back, they give it to David, and what did David do? Poured it on the ground. Are you kidding me? If I'm one of those guys, I'm ready to take his head off. How rude, how ungrateful, how disrespectful. But those guys understood exactly what David was doing. See, David wasn't being wasteful. David was using that water as worship. He was pouring that water out as a drink offering. Because David said, this water I hold in my hand would be like drinking the blood of these men that risked their lives. There's only one person worthy of such an act of kindness. And God, that's you. I'm not worthy of such an act of kindness. That's so divine. That is so godly. I don't deserve that. Only you deserve it, God. And so David pours it out as an act of worship. These men in their act of kindness move David towards God. And that cave of Adullam turned around from a cave of pain and a place of desperation to a place of worship and a place where the presence of God abided. Oh, man, these guys were probably more stoked that David used that to worship God than if he had drank it himself. They had more satisfaction seeing David move towards God, seeing the worship come out in David. See, 
What makes church, church? Is seeing people move towards God. This is a room full of God dreamers. Every time we gather is an opportunity to display acts of kindness that could see people move towards God. About four or five weeks ago at the Merida campus, uh, after our 11 o'clock service, a young lady came up to me and she was introduced to me. She was an Iranian woman, a, a, a mother of two, young mother, young kids. Her husband at that time was, was, in, was staying in Canada. Um, and the person that introduced her to me was a woman by the name of Arian. The, 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 the other woman, her, her nickname is Goli, and that's, that's what we'll call her. And, and she, she was introduced by a, a childhood friend of hers by the name of Arian, who Arian is also an Iranian woman, and she serves pretty much every week in our children's ministry at the Merida campus. And Goli just said to me, Pastor Mark, I had to meet you. She said, I've been coming to this church for three weeks. And she said, it's changed my life. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I was hoping to be baptized here, but at the end of this week, which was five weeks ago, she, she said, at the end of this week, I'm having to leave the country and go back to, to my home in, in Dubai, where she, where she was living at, the, at, that, time, at, at that time. And uh, uh, she said, so I'm not going to be able to be baptized, but I had to thank you for what this church has done in my life. And I said to her, well, are you a follower of Christ? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, well, are you busy early this week? She said, I don't think so. I said, well, if we could arrange it, could you come to the church during the week? We'll baptize you before you get out of here. She said, absolutely. So on Tuesday of that week, we organized the baptism for her, filled up our baptismal pool. We got as many as the staff that could gather. We had about 20 of our staff that gathered. And Goldie came up on our stage there at the Merida campus. And before we baptized her, we asked her to share her story, and we videotaped it. And what I want you to hear, and I want to show you this videotape. It's about three minutes long. You're going to see that her face is, is uh, 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 out of focus because at the Merida campus, we have live streaming, and, and our services are live streaming, and they're streamed all over the world. And if anybody was to see her from Iran, because she comes out of the Muslim faith into Christianity, it would create great issues for her. But when you hear her story, I want you to listen about the woman. She doesn't call her Arian. She talks, to her, talks about it as her friend. But listen how the kindness moved her towards God. Run the video, please. My name is Goli. I'm from Iran. Of course, I was uh, born to be a Muslim. It wasn't my choice to be a Muslim. I was born in 1979, which is the year that the Islamic Revolution happened in my country. Religion has become a very important part of the ruling and imposing it strongly to the people to follow. When I started going to school, of course, we were forced also to go to prayer room uh, and pray without being explained. What does it mean? Why do we have to do this? What it brings to my personality? What it adds to me as a human being? It was just basically a mandate that we had to follow. And if we were not following it or we were not going to the prayer room, they used to take away marks from our school you know, assignments. And, and I never wanted to accept it. So I always had this, you know, mentality growing up. And then, of course, when it was coming to the fasting month, we had to pretend that we are fasting. And I had to put the hijab 
and cover myself up. So all of this were always the question mark for me and I never wanted to, to do it in my whole life. So one of my friends that I know her since 16 years, uh, she, she was practicing Christianity even when she was back home. She has become peaceful, she has become calmer person after she, she's been baptized here and she's become a real um, dedicate to Jesus Christ, you know, so she got that serenity, I would say, from Jesus Christ, so I was inspired also. And she talked a lot with me about what Jesus is offering and how we should strengthen our belief. I watched the ceremonies online on the website and of course this time that I'm here in the US I attended the ceremonies three times uh, it's it's very happy even I I cried like one time during the one of the music that was playing uh, it's just that it's from within me there was an inspiration within me which made me cry it's not like that religion that everybody pretends to cry because this is what they want you to do it's all you know intuitional this is what i like about uh, christianity and of course the power which is jesus christ which makes you to to reach to that level and that point but now i think that i'm ready to accept you know and uh, become a follower 100 percent isn't that awesome You know, uh, when she was sitting on the stage sharing that story, Pastor Brett Mays, who's our administrative admissions pastor for Mount Perrin North, he was the one interviewing her. And while she was sharing, he just kind of sensed, I don't know that she's ever prayed to ask Jesus to forgive her of her sins and to be the leader of her life, that kind of moment of conversion, if you will. And so he just asked her, have you ever prayed for Jesus to be Lord and Savior? She said, no, I haven't. He said, would you want to do that right now? She said, yes. So right there on our stage, on a Tuesday afternoon around noon, she accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and five minutes later, she's being baptized in our pool. Now, what you don't understand is that Arian, her friend of 15 years, when Goli first came into the country, her children were very, very small. Arian provided child care for you. Arian would bring food to her home. Arian would help her with different things that needed to get done. Arian's the one that told her about watching the ceremonies online, the services of the church. Arian was the one that was telling her about Jesus. Arian is the one that she saw Jesus in through all these acts of kindness. Arian was risking her life because if it found out from anybody from Iran, anybody in the Muslim faith that knows her, that she's trying to proselytize Goli, her life is on the line. When she finally did come to church for three weeks, the first time she attended the Merida campus, Goli said to Arian, I have never felt more loved by a group of people than I have this day. I have never seen such kindness. All of that moved her towards God. I want to talk to followers of Christ in the room for a moment. Those that you know you're a follower of Christ. Those that this is your church home. 
can I encourage you one moment? Every week we gather in here is an opportunity to show a small act of kindness that could change the world for somebody. Let me encourage you, and maybe you already think this way, and if you do, awesome. Let me encourage you. When you come to attend church here, I encourage you, don't let the first thought be, what can I get out of this? What's here for me today? Let the first thought be, how can I glorify you, God, in showing kindness to somebody around me? What God dreams might ignite, how we might move closer. Now, all of us are pretty much creatures of habit, right? We pretty much sit in the same place at whatever service we attend. That's how we know whether you're here or not. <laughs> Point being, you pretty much have the same folks sitting behind you each week and in front of you and on your row. What would happen if every time we came in, the first thing we go up is, how's your week been? How can I pray for you? You know what? I don't remember your name. Tell me your name again. I just can't remember things. What if, what if that would happen? What if just where we sit, and every time I walk in, I'm going to look for so-and-so, look for so-and-so. And if they hadn't been here in a couple of weeks, man, I'm going to find out how can I touch base with them. What might happen? Now, I don't want to sound like Disney World but this could be a place where all God's dreams come through. One small act of kindness could ignite a God dream that could change the world for others. I want to give you an opportunity to display an act of kindness. Now, you may freak out about this, and that's okay. That's all right. You can freak out. We're in a church. We'll take care of you. We'll help you. But I want to give you an opportunity to show a simple act of kindness, and that would be simply... To find a couple of people around you, share a prayer request, and y'all just pray one for the other. Have a, just a small prayer group all across this room. Now, if that's a, too uncomfortable to you, that's fine. You don't have to participate. We're not going to judge you on it. At the same time, let me just encourage you. Maybe that's a chase the lion. You need to step out. Maybe God's trying to get you out of your comfort zone a little bit. You need to step out there and say, okay, I'm not comfortable praying for people, but I'm going to step out, God, because maybe this is what you want me to do. I don't know. But what might happen for the next few moments if we just prayed one for the other and then next week when we came back, we'd say, hey, how'd your week go? I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would, please. In just one moment, just find a couple other people real quick. Say, pray with me about this. And y'all just become a small prayer group. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we release to pray one for the other, I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to each person within these groups right now for your praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all just find some folks and pray together. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.